0: You can also find us on the web at VineyardBrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. You ever seen this movie? For those of you who haven't, I think we, we keep talking about a movie night, and I think this needs to be on the list. But that, that was the scene, Vote for Pedro, from the 2004 comedy, Napoleon Dynamite. There he is right there in, in all of his glory. The byline for the movie says, He's out to prove he's got nothing to prove. Napoleon and his friend Pedro worked together to turn the social structure of Preston High School on its head by getting Pedro elected as the student body president. You remember that from the movie? And if you watch the movie, you know that ultimately what turns the tide for Pedro is Napoleon's slick dance moves. (laughs) So I think there's a few of you that you're you're curious now and you want to see this movie. Well, I'm beginning a new series this morning, and it's called Everybody Gets to Play. Why everyone can participate in God's kingdom. Now, this phrase, everyone gets to play, is key to understanding who we are as a movement. And by that I mean the Vineyard Movement. For John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, it meant the kingdom of God is accessible and available to everybody. You don't have to be a pastor, a teacher, or any kind of super Christian to do whatever it was Jesus did. And it's not just for the cool kids. God will use us. So if you see a need, you can fill it. You can pray for someone who's sick or who's infirm. And expect God to heal them through you. You can share your faith with your friends, your neighbors, and your co workers. You don't have to call your pastor to talk about your faith. You can do all of this now, and you don't have to wait until you're worthy or more educated or even more confident. And I've heard that John liked to say, we're all changing in God's pocket. He can use us any way He chooses. And that's what the kingdom, life in the kingdom is all about. And that's what this series is about. Mobilizing ourselves as a community to do what Jesus has called us to do and to be. So with that, I'm going to go, I'm going to back up just a little bit and I'm, I'm going to ask a really foundational question as the title of what I'll be talking to you about this morning and that is who does Jesus call Who does Jesus call Well Amanda you already gave it away Yeah it, it it's really it, it's it's really that simple Jesus calls everybody Everybody Now what is Jesus calling us to? Well, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is that He's calling us to be disciples. He's got something for all of us to do. He's got something for all of us to be. And my, my text this morning is, is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son, that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, one of the things that, that happens when Jesus calls us is that He wants to get us plugged in to His church. As George Ladd says, the church is the sphere or the realm where the blessings of God or the blessings of the rule and reign of God's kingdom are experienced. The church is the vehicle that God uses to work in the world. So if we want to participate in what God is doing, we need to be part of the church. Now, looking at the text, Paul refers to what we often think of as positions As gifts that Paul or that God Jesus gave the church. And I think most of us, we kind of we tend to look at those as titles or positions. And if we do that, we miss the entire point. Jesus gave us these gifts so that God's people can be equipped to do God's the the work of Jesus and his kingdom and to build up the church. Now A little over 20 years ago, when Donnell and I first attended a vineyard church, the pastor at that church blew my mind when he was teaching from this, this passage. And the thing that he said was this anybody can be an apostle. Now, it's really rare, but anybody can be an apostle, anybody can be a prophet, anybody can be an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. These aren't vocations. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, they weren't even positions yet. There was no pay for these things. And Paul says that they are all gifts that God gives to people or gives people to the church to make it everything that it's supposed to be. And what I see that as is that the door's open for anyone to do the work of the kingdom. And it all begins by saying yes to Jesus' call. We just have to recognize what it is that Jesus is calling us to. Now in Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture there. Matthew 25 verse 31, and and I, I think we're all pretty familiar with this passage. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him... Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. I think this is one of the clearest references that that Jesus makes to what we recognize as the judgment seat of Christ. He describes the criteria of what it means to be in or out. In you get to go to heaven, out you don't. And based on this scripture alone, that that criteria to get into heaven is doing good works for others. If you did it to them, then you did it to me. Now, since the Reformation, and we're talking... Hundreds of years. Martin Luther and the 99 Theses and the Enlightenment, there has been a concentrated effort among pro- Protestant and Anglican organizations to respond to the liberal and rational criticisms of increasingly secular institutions of higher learning toward faith and Scripture. Martin Luther in his Doctrine of Sola Scriptura is a primary example of where Scripture is considered the highest authority and it can be relied on alone in things pertaining to salvation and a Christ-like life. Now, does anybody see a problem with that? I mean, it's great. It, the, the Reformation, it, was, it, it, it really changed the world. But at the same time, Scripture became the most important thing and it affected practice. And if modernism has taught us anything about matters of faith, it's that faith is really a matter of what we believe, giving mental assent to. And in other words, if you believe the right things, you go to heaven. Believe the wrong things and you go to hell. Say the right words, you go to heaven. Say the wrong words or don't say the right words and you go to hell. You follow me? It, it, it becomes this, this really mechanical kind of interaction with faith and with, with Christ. And it also requires no further action on behalf of the believer. And this kind of faith has given rise to a term that we now know as nominal Christianity, which means Christianity in name only. You don't have to do anything, just show up to church, pay your tithe, shake the preacher's hand on the way out, say the prayer. And you're good. You're, I got my ticket punched. I'm on my way to heaven. How many times have we heard that? But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind for us. Jesus called His disciples to do the work of the kingdom. Not sit around and, and, and discuss matters of theology that really have nothing to do with helping us to be more like Jesus. You know, we can spend a lot of time on stuff. You know, how many angels dance on the head of a pin? You know, I went to Bible college, and I heard a lot of stuff, and it was like, what does this even have to do with being a Christian? Jesus called His disciples to do the work of the kingdom. So, for our purposes this morning, Jesus calls everyone to be disciples. Now, what does that term disciple mean? I think the best explanation is it comes in the word apprenticeship. And it's kind of a lost art here in the United States because, you know, you, you go off to college and you learn a trade. You go off to college and, and you're, you're, you study in a field and, and that's, that's what basically establishes the trajectory of your life. You know? I'm going to be an engineer, so this is what I do. I'm going to be a scientist, so this is what I do. Well, in, in Europe, in the old country, if you will, there were people that actually dedicated themselves to learning a particular trade. And they, they, they spent time with the master in their field to learn how to do that. And, and the way that they learned how to do that was they, they lived the life this person lived. Sometimes they moved into the same house, which is, you know, that, that's kind of awkward for us Americans because, like, you know, there, there, there needs to be some boundaries here, you know. Let's, let's keep, let's keep some, some separation. But these people learned what it took, what it was required of them to learn this trade, whether it was to be a cobbler, whether it was to be, be a mason. Whatever it was, they learned how to do this by living the life that the master lived and ultimately if they live like them then they would be like them whenever they were released to do it on their own that's the example of discipleship that's what Jesus taught his disciples to do you look at it in the scripture they they lived with him and there's some of the disciples that uh, some of the Scholars say that, that maybe Peter and, and a few others might have been married. They actually left home and camped with Jesus out on the road whenever he was going from town to town. That's a little extreme, Joel, you know, but this is the, this is the example that Jesus was setting. And then later when he was talking about being a follower, being one of his followers, being a disciple, this is what Jesus said. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Come camp with me outside. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what does it benefit if you gain the world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? Anyone who is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. You see, Jesus calls everyone and expects us to respond by committing our lives to him and his purposes. So you might be saying to yourself right now, if I'm going to consider becoming a disciple of Jesus... It would be helpful for me to know what Jesus did and what's going to be required of me to do. In Acts chapter 10, it gives us just a brief little overview of what what Jesus did when He was on earth. Acts chapter 10, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now I was looking at this and, I, and just thinking of some things that, that what's the, the good stuff that Jesus did? Well, if you look at his life and you look at what, what the New Testament shows us, Jesus welcomed people. How many of you know what it's like not to feel welcome someplace? Isn't that awful? It, it just feels terrible. Jesus welcomed kids. He welcomed the poor. He welcomed the outcast. He invited himself over for lunch. You know How's that? You know, that's not really polite in the United States. He was always inviting people to come to him and receive the kingdom of God. And that's what we get to do. And... Jesus also healed people. He wanted people to be healed and be set free. And I find it interesting that Jesus, his prayer model, you remember what his prayer model was? Be healed. And they got healed. It was just amazing. Be healed. He touched somebody, somebody touched him on the leg. It didn't even touch his leg, actually just touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if if we were involved in healing the people that we meet in the course of the, our, our day? But Jesus also discipled people. He showed them this is how you do it. And he corrected them when they didn't do it right have a few instances of that in in the New Testament. He modeled and he demonstrated godly authority in front of his disciples and said, you go do this. And he commissioned disciples. The word commission is to give an order for or authorize for service. They have a commissioning Ceremony at, at Texas A&M every year after graduation, and what they what they're doing is giving these these young men and young women orders. This is where you're going. This is what you're doing. This is the trajectory of your life. Jesus prepared his disciples to do everything he did, and then gave them the orders: preach the gospel, make disciples. And those are the same orders that have been passed down to us. And that's because Jesus' disciples do what Jesus did. How many of y'all remember Launch 16? How many of you were still around here when a uh, few of you? Well, Mike and Betty Fry came, and Mike's kind of an older guy. He's tried to retire from church planning, and he's—I think—he's been called out of retirement like four or five times. But he—he he did this thing with a rubber band. You remember? How many of you still have your rubber band? I've got mine. It looks kind of rough, but I—I I, I still wear it, and I—I I wear it to remind myself that sometimes God wants to stretch me. That's what it. Remember? That's what it meant. Sometimes God wants to stretch us. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone because chances are if we don't, we we probably wouldn't do anything anyway. So I I need this reminder. And sometimes I'd snap it just so I remember that it's there. But God wants to stretch us. God wants to take us outside of our comfort zone so that we we can show the love of Jesus to people. In John chapter 14, Jesus told His disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I have been doing, and they will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Because He was sending the Holy Spirit, right? And I will do whatever you ask in My name. This is Jesus talking to His disciples. I will do whatever you ask in My name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, you read the Gospels, and Jesus did some pretty amazing things. He did some really amazing things. And he says, whoever, fill in the blank with your name if you want to, Whoever believes in him will do even greater things than he did. And so I'm just saying, why not give that a try? (laughs) Who knows what might happen? Now in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story about Jesus sending people out. In chapter 10, verse 1, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. How many of us feel like that we have a part to play in sharing the gospel with the world? Do you feel that that way? We, we have a part to play. And in the passage, Jesus told the 72 new disciples, these aren't the 12 and some others, these are brand new disciples, to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into His field. Why would He say something like that? Because there's not enough workers in the field. Now, in case you wonder what this harvest field might look like, I've got a few pictures I'd like to show you from this past week. This is from the Dabs, Donuts and Blessings. Just giving donuts, saying a blessing over kids. And then there's the the blend move-in. It was kind of cool that the the football coach sent the football team over to help us and right after they finished they went right out to practice and then we went out to Regency a few months ago and just shared a meal with some people that just needed to know that somebody cared about them is that the last one That was right here in Brenham. That was in Burton. Right here in in, in Washington County. Just opportunities that we took advantage of to share the love of Jesus with people that are just like us, except but for the grace of God. Jesus' disciples say Yes. I can't tell you how much trouble I've gotten in by saying yes in my life. But I can, I can also tell you that I've had a lot of adventures. There have been times that i wondered, how in the world did I even end up here? Because I said yes. Yes, saying yes moves the world. I firmly believe that. And if you ask me, Joel, man, you know, I, I got this great idea for this ministry opportunity. You know what my answer is probably going to be? Yes. Just as long as you don't want me to do it. <laughs> but yes moves the world. Saying yes moves the world. I want to read you this passage from the book of Isaiah, and then I'm, I'm going, to, going to close. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, just as we sang this morning. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah said, Woe to me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is away is atoned for and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and Isaiah said here am I send me the Lord is looking for people who will say yes Jesus is looking for disciples who will say yes Will that be you? Can we stand this morning?